0: when the clock has started this is 20 minutes you'll never get back <laughs> yes she is right this is 20 minutes you'll never get back and that was sophia thank you sophia she was so excited to record that for my podcast Now since she recorded that last week apparently she's gotten herself an agent and i hear a lawyer is talking compensation <laughs> i'm i'm just kidding sophia Thank you very much for doing that for me. My name is Doug Prazak, and thank you very much for tuning into episode ninety-six of uh, Twenty Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Promise you, you're not going to get these back. So just give them up right now. <laughs> Face it, these are gone from your life. But I hope you enjoy the show. And you know, why change now? Let's start with how we usually do, um, with some hellos to cities or towns or wide spots in the road, as my dad would say. Uh, on my list today is, I hope I pronounced this right, Yaffa in the Northern District of Israel. And in case you were wondering, according to the Google machine, Yaffa is an Arab town in the Lower Galilee, Israel, and it forms part of the metropolitan area of Nazareth. So hello to whomever is listening there. Thank you. And hello to Caesares. Apparently, Caesares is a commune in the Herol Department of Southern France. <laughs> now, I'm sure I completely botched both those names. So Sarah, C-E-S-S-E-R-A-S and Harold H-E-R-A-U-L-T. And I don't know, a department, I guess, is like a uh, county, maybe. I don't know, Peace of me, but welcome. Thanks for listening. And I want to say hello again to Taylor, Michigan. Someone or some ones have been regular listeners there and have given me hundreds of of their minutes and when I put it like that you're probably regretting it right now and if you've listened to all 96 episodes uh, listen to all of them that is something like 1900 minutes which is like 31 hours which is like watching all 16 Star Wars movies end to end that's 31 hours for you right there, I tell you. So hello to all of you, and if you have listened to all 96 podcasts so far, you are officially now a legacy listener. You should uh, at least get a medal or something. No, I, I can't afford medals. How about a sticker? You get a legacy sticker if you've listened to all 96 episodes. And speaking of legacy, almost two years ago, I did an episode, uh, actually episode number five to be exact, called Married to a Runner, in that I talked about runners and things about running and a little bit about what I do when my wife is running. Well, she was in another race this weekend. It was uh, just a 5K for her. I call it uh, 3.1 miles of torture. She calls it a warm up. She said it was great to be back out on the race course with her peeps. But here's the thing I noticed. Apparently, before runners start racing, they all need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> bathroom preparation, I guess. You know, we parked the car and we walked down to the starting area. And as we got closer, I noticed the long line for the porta potties. There were three of them for about six or seven hundred runners. Uh, she still had to check in and and get her turn in her waiver and get her racing bib number thing. So I said, you know, go ahead. I'll just hold a place in line for you. <laughs> so there I was, runners in front of me, runners behind me. They were standing on one foot while stretching out their uh, their other leg. Some were standing with their hands on their hips, twisting side to side. Some of them were uh, downing power drinks. I, you know, I wanted to say, dude, stop it. You know, you're just going to have to go again pretty soon. <laughs> My favorite part was, though, while online there, they all seemed to be one-upping each other with what race they just ran. The distance seemed to keep getting bigger and bigger with each boast. Uh, Well, yeah, I just finished a 10K last week in Oregon. That's what a runner sounds like to me. And then someone uh, just ran a half marathon. And, of course, then someone finished in the top 10 in a marathon. I think I even heard someone say they just ran to the top of Everest. One of them uh, even turned to me and asked, what was my most recent run? <laughs> if they would have looked at my clothes uh, that were severely lacking any sort of indication that I was a runner, they would have known my last run was in Costco when the sample lady appeared with cut up enchilada samples. So I, you know, I politely answered back, oh, I'm just holding a place in line for my wife. She's the runner. The woman who asked me the question said, oh, that was nice. But I swear I heard her say she turned away bless his little heart. <laughs> but I digress, that is not what this episode is about. No, my weekend involved an Allen Runch. And if you've lived on this planet for more than 10 years, you know what I'm talking about. I was building furniture from Ikea. Three flat boxes that somehow we're going to turn into a six drawer dresser. I studied the uh, wordless instruction book, making sure I knew when to use a wood dowel and when to use the screw thing that looked like it was part of the space station. And since there were no words on the instructions, I had time to think. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh! You know, how did IKEA happen? Well, my Swedish meatball-loving friends, I did the research so you don't have to and you won't even need an Allen wrench. (laughs) IKEA was founded in 1943 by a 17-year-old named Ingvar Kamprad. Ingvar grew up on his family-owned small farm called Elmtard near Agunjard in Smallland, Sweden. Now let me stop right here and apologize to all these Swedish listeners. I know there's a lot of you. I'm doing my best, but y'all have some really weird pronunciations, so I'm just going to try and power through this, okay? But I apologize in advance. Thank you very much. According to my research, small land is an area that produces more stones than crops. People in this area are said to be thrifty and innovative, with a no-nonsense approach to everyday problem-solving. Around the time that Komprad was born, most smalllanders had some kind of side business going. For Ingvar's part, he started selling matches in 1931 when he was five. His grandmother was his first customer. The <laughs> The business itself was simple. His aunt bought matches wholesale in Stockholm and then Comprud repacked them into smaller units and sold them for a small profit. He then saved all that and reinvested into his own expansion. By the time he was 13, he moved up from matches to a bicycle-powered farm-to-farm service that sold fish, seeds, Christmas cards, and magazines. Now, in true camp rod fashion, he started with his mother's bicycle until he profited enough to invest in his own bike. He talked his father into buying larger nets for the family fishing boat, and that allowed him to sell more fish and put aside even more money for future investment. Moving to boarding school at the age of 14 presented (laughs) kind of a challenge for him. He couldn't keep his delivery service, and at the same time, he wouldn't let himself just stop selling stuff. He switched over to watches, Pins, wallets, and belts, and all things that would appeal to his classmates. At some point in his three years at the boarding school, Camp Rudd set his sights on owning and operating his own firm, where he basically formalized the business he was already doing, and Ikea was informed in 1943 while he was 17. And in case you don't know where the name Ikea comes from, well, Ikea is basically an address. The IK is for Ingvar Komprad, you know, his name. The E is for the family farm Elmtard. And the A is for Agunyard, which is the closest town to the farm. So it's Ingar Komprad on the Elmtard farm in Agunyard. <laughs> there you go. It's an address. The first few years of IKEA looked pretty much like an expanded version of what Comprad had already been doing. It was a mail-order service-based in Almhult, which is the same town where Comprad's grandfather ran a general store and where the modern IKEA designing headquarters is currently located. The first brochures offered household goods, watches, picture frames, pens, and jewelry for low prices, dealing mostly with the rural areas Ingvar was most familiar with deliveries were made out of the back of a milk van that Comprod hired. Furniture wasn't even offered by IKEA for the first few years. 1948 was the first year he included any furniture in the brochure, but Comprod let his customers dictate how the company should proceed. If there was an interest, he'd stock more. If there wasn't, he'd go back to what people were actually buying. Now, as it turns out, they actually wanted to buy furniture. They wanted to buy so much furniture that it was the main offering of the first catalog in 1951. Now, it's not that Ikea's first furniture offerings were met with equal support. While anyone who actually bought the furniture was happy with the product, there were many more who couldn't believe that furniture could come at such a low price. This idea was so pervasive that comprud had to open a showroom in Almhult in 1953 so people could actually touch the furniture for themselves. <laughs> and they still do. The showroom model proved effective, so Ikea opened its first store in 1958, also in Almholt. Okay, I think it's time for a break. And when we come back, how do we end up with flat boxes that turn into an entire living room set? And where do those names come from? <laughs> Don't go away. Get wild root cream jolly. Get your hair in an nah, alcoholic, Charlie, it's made with sudo and you better get wild food green, oil, Charlie, start using it today, keeps you looking neat all day. <laughs> Who is this Charlie fellow? <laughs> all right, let's get back to IKEA furniture. Yeah. So furniture was, uh, had its own unique challenge and opportunity for Ikea when they first started their pieces and furniture in general were sold as big, solid pieces. It was bulky, heavy, and the exact opposite of efficient. So how do you solve that problem? Well, you can thank Gillis Lundgren. You see, Gillis was a draftsman at Ikea. He was trying to ship a table that just wouldn't fit in the trunk of his car he decided to simply unscrew the legs off the table. Now, since IKEA is such a fan of simple, efficient solutions, it was fairly easy for Lundgren to move the company to a flat-pack format. The first product the flat-pack idea was used for was the Lovett table in 1956. And by the way, that same table is still available at IKEA, but it's under a new name, the Lovbaken L O V B A C K E N look that one up and that table's the same one they were selling in nineteen fifty-six. You've got to love the IKEA flat pack. You know, the box is maybe only three inches high, about twelve inches wide, maybe three feet long, depending on what you're buying, and it weighs seven thousand pounds. <laughs> Those things efficiently packed, and they are heavy. And it's still a mystery to me how you can open that up, put stuff together, and end up with a twelve foot tall dresser. <laughs> IKEA continued to rise despite the stiff competition from other Swedish companies throughout the 1950s. These other companies pressured other suppliers to cut ties with IKEA. Oh the 1960s were a time of localized expansion both in the stores themselves and in IKEA locations in other countries. IKEA then ventured into dining in 1960 when Comprad noticed customers would leave the Almo location empty-handed if they were hungry he figured they would make more sales if the customers had a meal options inside the store in 1963 ikea opened the oslo location the first store outside of sweden in 1965 the flagship store kungens kurva outside of stockholm opened its doors it was the largest furniture store in Northern Europe at the time, and the store's design is inspired by the Guggenheim Museum in New York. It just about burned to the ground thanks to an electrical fault in the neon sign on the roof. Fortunately, there were no human casualties. Up until the fire, Kungen's Curva had massive wait times, overcrowding, and delivery issues. The fire forced them to rebuild, but actually allowed them to think about new ways to operate their stores. The biggest change was allowing customers into the warehouse for the first time. By the time the store reopens in 1971, most products could be picked up in the self-service area, driven home, and assembled by the customers, along with that Allen wrench. (laughs) The fire of 1970 created the IKEA we know today. From 1975 to 1979, Ikea opened 19 stores in places all over the world, and the trend continues today. The first Ikea to open in the United States was in Philadelphia in 1985. The largest Ikea in North America is located here in downtown Burbank, The store is 4,560 square feet, three stories high. and has over 50 room settings. I've been there, been there often. I was there this weekend. I bought a (laughs) Malm in flat packs. It's enormous. They have arrows in the ground to keep you going in the right direction or else you'd be lost in there forever. It has its own street. It's on the Ikea way. It also features a 600 seat restaurant. So there's plenty of room to sit down and have those meatballs. The largest Ikea in the world is in the Philippines in a city of Pasay, in the mall of Asia. It's a huge space. Nay, it's a vast space, 700,000 square feet. It is the size of the palace of Versailles. Oh my God. It stretches across five floors in a mall by Manila Bay. If you're really into Ikea, there is an Ikea museum in Omholt. And get this, there is an Ikea hotel that's actually been operating in Omholt since 1964. All right, what about those Ikea product names? Well, you know, there are several <laughs> Ikea name generators on the web that will spit out made-up words that sound like anything you'd ever see on an Ikea floor. All right, we're going to have a little test here. I generated three different names that sound like anything you could find in Ikea. And I'm gonna give you a real product and a made up one and see if you can figure out which one is real and which one's fake, okay? The first one is either the ODLA, O-D-L-A, or the Dunhelt, D-U-N-H-E-D-L-T, okay? Which one is it? Time's up. The correct answer is the oddlaw It's a, a planter <laughs> at IKEA. And frankly, I think the Dunhelt could be one too, but you know, it's not. Here's your uh, second test: the, Sand or the Sol Kulu. Sandtrav, or the Solkulu. S-A-N-D-T-R-A-V, or the Solkulu. S-O-L-K-U-L-U, and the O has two dots over it. If that helps. Okay, ready? Okay. Time's up. The correct answer is the sand Trav. It's a throw pillow. <laughs> the generator created Solkulu and even put two dots over the o. All right, here's the last one. The turkey or the nidalah? T I R K E or N Y D A L A. Turkey or nidalah? Which one is real? Yeah, if you made a cabinet, you know, it's the nidalah. That's a drawer handle. <laughs> So how did you do when you're IKEA naming? <laughs> so just how does IKEA name its products? Well, it's actually quite ingenious. So what is their product branding strategy? Well, IKEA's naming system was created by good old Ingvar Kamprad. You remember him. He's the, the company founder. He struggled with dyslexia and he had trouble remembering the order of the numbers in item codes. So he swapped the numbers for names. This made it easier for him to remember each item, and as a result, he made fewer mistakes when filling out forms. The naming system actually is brilliant in its simplicity and scalability. Each product is named after Swedish towns and villages, humans, or other applicable Swedish words. The system is even better than simply just assigning random Swedish words to products. Each category of product is assigned a very specific type of name. So here's a breakdown of the naming system. Bathroom items, well, they're names of Swedish lakes and bodies of water. Linens are flowers and plants. Bedroom and living room furniture, those are Norwegian places. Bookcases are professions and Scandinavian boys' names. Uh, Bowls and vases, those are Swedish name places. Adjectives, spices, herbs, fruits, and berries. Boxes, pictures, and wall decorations, those are Swedish slang expressions and Swedish place names children's products are mammals birds or adjectives desks and chairs are scandinavian boys names fabrics and curtains are scandinavian girls names outdoor furniture are scandinavian islands lighting are units of measure seasons months and days and sofas chairs and dining sets are swedish place names this system actually helps ikea name new products quickly and efficiently but Ikea doesn't exactly constrain itself to the system. They'll break the laws when they want to. For instance, the Billy bookcase. And yes, I have three of them here. The Billy bookcase is Ikea's number one selling product. And it's actually named after an employee, Billy Likjall. <laughs> Sorry, Billy. So there you have it. That is Ikea in a nutshell. Or that's Ikea in a fartalg, as Ingvar would say. <laughs> But what have we learned? Well, we learned that uh, much like Dwight Schrute and his thumbtack, Ingvar basically traded up his matches to a gajillion dollar company. We learned that if you want to give something an Ikea name, just go to a Google map and look up Sweden. And we learned that Doug should never talk to strangers in a running race porta potty line. It just saved the humiliation, Doug. (laughs) That's it. Thank you very much for tuning into this episode number 96. And I will talk to you next time on 20 Minutes. You'll never get back. Bye-bye. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed to when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine, it's at 20MYNGB. Uh, 20MYNGB. And that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the uh, website at 20MinutesPodcast.com. So it's 20MinutesPodcast.com. And uh, you can. Uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take take a look at those two things if you'd like and stay informed. And I'll, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye.